Welcome to Engage 360, Denver Seminary's podcast. Join us as we explore the redemptive power of the gospel and the life-changing truth of scripture at work in our culture today. Hey friends, welcome to Engage 360 at Denver Seminary. We're glad to have you with us. My name is Don Payne, and I love interacting with people in ministry environments that are vastly different from my own and uh, who have been involved in ministry in ways totally outside my own experience. And our guest this week represents just that for me and maybe for some of you as well. His name is Andy Bird, and Andy is a student here at Denver Seminary, but he has a long ministry with YWAM, which is Youth with a Mission. Uh, he's based in Kona, Hawaii. Andy, it is so good to have you on the podcast. Hey, thank you. So, so grateful to be on this with you, and uh, yeah, excited to talk. Andy, tell us, uh, particularly for those who may not be familiar with YWAM, um, tell us a bit about that. Give us the, the YWAM story, the elevator speech yeah. for YWAM. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, YWAM is, uh, we just actually celebrated our 60th anniversary this last fall, and uh, YWAM started 60 years ago really with a uh, a real uh, simple vision, which was an empowerment unto the Great Commission. And this initially started by sending young people that maybe a lot of, uh, a lot of the, the church of the day may not have seen as qualified for missions. But over the last 60 years, that has, um, that has massively broadened, and, and YWAM has been one of many that God has used to empower um, all ages, um, many from many different nations and ethnicities and different social economic backgrounds and many denominational backgrounds uh, to really step into their missional calling. So um, YWAM does training, um, does evangelism, does mercy ministry, and we're in about 190 nations around the world uh, with full-time teams, but roughly uh, 30,000 volunteer staff. Now, tell us a little bit about your own journey, both as a follower of Jesus and then your your past and present ministry with YWAM. Yeah, yeah. I grew up uh, actually most of my life in Alaska. Um, amazing family, amazing uh, parents that absolutely love Jesus with all their hearts. And um, But when I was 18, I would say I was pretty lukewarm, uh, pretty apathetic, and uh, just kind of going through the motions of my faith and didn't really know what I was going to major in and at college. My dad is very educated and um, has a high value for education, which I wasn't opposed to. I just didn't really have vision that matched any kind of uh, need for education. Uh-huh. So he, he sent me, he, he kind of gave me a gap year to figure it out. And so I went, I ended up going to this discipleship training school and didn't really go for the right reasons. I kind of wanted to get out of Alaska, wanted to travel. I knew that, you know, it would go international. All of that sounded pretty fun. But uh, in the first week of that school, I had uh, my life completely turned upside down and had a pretty profound encounter um, with Jesus and just the power of the Holy Spirit. And it changed everything for me, just mm-hmm. in terms of seeing God as somewhat distant, um, a little bit on the maybe more the tradition, which isn't bad, but I had limited God maybe to some boxes. And uh, those boxes were pretty well shattered. And I, I just discovered an intimate friendship with Jesus in a way that I didn't even know was possible. Mm. And so that turned everything on its head for me. 
And at the same time, I really became aware of what was happening around the world, which I, you know, small town Alaska, you know, that's just not common, uh, wasn't common conversation. So I went to Cambodia for three months as part of that. And I was just, I was ruined, ruined for what I experienced, what I saw, um, how, how most of the world, as I came to found out, find out, were, were living, um, the, the lack of even gospel opportunity or uh, awareness um, or resources. And so in a pretty short amount of time, I could have never predicted the future, but at 18, in a pretty short amount of time, I, I radically fell in love with Jesus and, and really began a wholehearted pursuit. And at the same time, it coincided with a real passion for the nations and uh, for the places with, with little gospel access. So that kind of set me on my journey, and it's been 22 years that we've been rolling with YWAM. I met my wife there, um, you know, seven, uh, six kids later with a seventh right now, a foster child. Um, we are still um, still going for it and, um, you know, kind of still living that out. So uh, we wear a number of different hats, but um, all in the realm of, of training and sending young people uh, into the nations and in, into the workforces of their own nations as well. But hopefully with a, a heart of a wholehearted love for Jesus and a, and a real passion to, to make him known. I'm curious, Andy, do you find that a number of uh, younger adults um, sign on with YWAM on terms similar to what you did? I mean, they may be yeah, kind of apathetic about their faith, but it looks like a cool thing to do to travel in the world. And then even though they're getting involved in ministry, so to speak, it's that ministry that then turns them around. I mean, is your experience kind of common for many I would others? say it's real common. Yes, it's very common. And uh, I would say that YWAM now has enough recognition, you know, around the world that a lot of young people are coming from lots of different church backgrounds. And my story gets repeated over and over again. <laughs> so it's, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing to watch. And it's, it's really rewarding to be a part of people's journey towards um, wholehearted devotion to Jesus. Yeah, that, that's really interesting because, you know, in one respect, maybe in a traditional or a, a previous generation, you would expect that a lot of people who would sign on with a mission organization of some sort would already have a, a real clear commitment to ministry and a clear commitment to Jesus before they went there. And now that seems kind of to have flipped. Is that fair? At yeah, least with a lot, at least with a lot of them. I would say so. I would say that that's very true in our experience. And among that, I know you, you've had some really fascinating opportunities to speak to pretty large crowds, like in stadium events internationally, right? Yeah. So uh, yeah, how'd, that's how'd that come about? Journey. Yeah. Tell yeah, us about that. Such a wild journey. And, you know, the funny thing is my town that I grew up in in Alaska would have fit on the field of any one of those stadiums yeah. that we've, we've gathered. <laughs> you know, I just come from a tiny little town and Alaska and grew up fly fishing and, and hunting and camping. I, I didn't see any of this coming. So um, yeah, I mean, just parenthetically, but, you're an American who's yeah. never lived on the mainland, right? That's right. No, I only a very short window when I met my wife. We spent a year living in, uh, in Pennsylvania. But other than that, we've lived in Hawaii and Alaska oh, that's amazing. for most of our lives. How yeah. funny. Yeah. Yeah. So about... Um, about three years ago, we gathered with a handful of other ministries across America, about seven of us actually, came together from different movements. Um, really uh, kind of a longer story as to what brought us together. 
with a sense that um, America was not only desperate, but that there really was another great awakening coming to America. And you feeling not only the urgency of the need, but also that the Lord was really speaking about uh, a third great awakening in this nation, that out of it would come the greatest missions movement this nation's ever experienced. And we didn't ever think necessarily be exclusive to America. That was just where the Lord began to speak to us the most. So out of that, we planned our first stadium gathering, and the event was called The Send. And um, YWAM was one of the seven ministries there, and I was asked to lead this. So YWAM kind of helped uh, at the tip of the spear on this. And we were, we were way over our head, but, but God moved in an amazing way. 58,000 people came to that stadium in Orlando, Florida, and the whole thing was about the Great Commission. It was 12 hours of worship, prayer, and basically opportunities to make a difference in the Great Commission. Anything from foster care in America and adoption uh, to seeing our high schools as a mission field to considering the unreached of the nations all over the world. And that, that really, it, it went beyond what we could have imagined. And we found ourselves a year later in three stadiums in Brazil, simultaneously the same day, about 150,000 Brazilians, another 3 million watching live online as we, um, as we did the same thing in Brazil, 12 hours of worship and prayer, um, remarkable move wow. of the Holy Spirit. Wow. And, and asking Brazil to take its place on the global stage for the Great Commission. And out of that, thousands committing to adoption, committing to reach their high schools. And out, out of all that, we follow up and help, um, help all of those people essentially um, to join an organization or a movement that will help equip them to be a missionary to their high school or a missionary to the nations of the earth. So okay. we did a couple of those, and then COVID shut the whole world down. So... Um, that that happened in Orlando, Brazil, and our next gathering is actually in Kansas City um, about a year from now, in, in most likely in early summer, like June of 2022, Okay. just so that we are way on the other side of all of this uh, COVID stuff. So yeah, that's the, it's called The Send. It's a collaborative movement, and we've had a privilege to have a seat at the table as YWAM as part of that, and it's been a wild ride. Oh, I bet. What, what are some of the unique challenges or or risks and the unique impact of, of that kind of ministry? Yeah, I think uh, this thing's definitely um, kicked my butt in a lot of ways. And uh, I think I, I, didn't, <clears throat> I didn't realize um, how difficult in some ways broader unity movements are in the body of Christ. And of course, we, we know that it's such a need and that we struggle with division at so many levels. And I think I, through this journey, understood a little bit more as to why we struggle with division at so many levels and how difficult unity really can be. So there, you know, just the challenges of getting various streams of the body of Christ together under a, a simple uh, a, or a primary banner and not an organizational name or a brand, but really around a message. And at the same time as that being our maybe one of our biggest challenges, at the same time, I also feel like it's probably one of the biggest breakthroughs has just been watching how the, the message of the Great Commission has the power to bring together different streams and different leaders, unifying around an urgency to see the nations reach and to see America re-evangelized. And so that's been a, a mega challenge, but also in some ways has been very rewarding just to see what God's done in that. That, that is so fascinating, and, 
and um, well, I and probably many of our listeners can relate to that because we've seen that tragically in lots and lots of ways, at least in this country, uh, yeah. where it, it gets so difficult to to unify uh, different sub traditions and different splinter groups under a uh, a common cause. And it's really yes. great, great to hear that that you've at least got some anecdotal evidence that that yeah yeah that that's a thing right that can happen yes. yeah when you it talk can about happen. yeah when you talk about God bringing a another great awakening um, at least to this country which a lot of us have been praying for for some time uh, yeah. I just you know I wonder a lot of us wonder what shape that might take what will be the you know the presenting issues the um, the the kind of iterations of of reconciliation and redemption, because in each in each great awakening historically, there there have been certain kinds of um, focal points for a revival. Uh, you know, cultural focal focal points, cultural forms of brokenness that that the gospel really tackles head on. And I'm just curious what that might be. Um, y- you may have some thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I so agree with you. Um, I think in studying some of the first and second great awakenings and, of course, some of the revival and reformation movements in history, you do see each of them marked with uh, distinct elements that were so real, necessary, and needed in the day that they occurred in, and, of course, always reflected various attributes of God's nature and character. And I think we are in a remarkable season right now of shift at a global level, and in the U.S. massively. I think in the last year we have probably experienced um, enough uh, uh, change that might be equal to any 20-year period of time before yeah, this. Probably so, the, so. Yeah, probably so. Don't you think? I mean, the cultural shift. Yeah, the, it's, real, yeah it's a thick. Um, it's the, been a thick season. Oh, man. The ideological shift. So many things have been accelerated in a one-year period. And, of course, a lot of division has occurred in that so in some ways, I feel the need to be pressing into God and understanding his heart for not what he did five years ago or what we even saw working, in a sense, five years ago. It's the same nature and character, the same God, the same gospel, but to understand what spiritual awakening will look like mm-hmm. in this next generation with Gen Z and young millennials and our current you know, political climate, our current... Um, uh, uh, body of Christ climate, our current uh, cultural climate, I think it is probably one of the most pressing needs of the hour is to understand what the Lord's doing in the midst of all of it and how do we see how do we see him move beyond our wildest imagination and what will mark that? What will his fingerprints look like in this uh, this move of God that we've all been praying for and all believing for? And honestly, I feel like even seeing some of the beginning signs of. So that, to me, is one of the most important questions that we should be uh, that we're seeking God about right now. Oh yeah, may it come, Lord, because yeah, it, yeah, it can, I mean, it, I would think it it almost has to be that some of that brokenness that we that has been in our faces and been crushing in on us uh, uh, globally as well as in this country uh, will be the backdrop, the the foil for what God does uniquely in in these next next seasons. It sure feels that way. Yeah. Andy, I'm curious, what do you, what have you, in your experience, seen, or what are you seeing God doing in the world that might kind of be off the radar for lots of North American Christians? 
I love that question. Um, yes, I think, I think, uh, you know, one of the most remarkable things or some of, I should say, some of the most remarkable things happening will never make, you know, Fox or CNN or BBC or, you know, pick the news outlet and yet are historic on a, on a uh, global scale right now. And, uh, and I think so much of what's happening because our mainstream media is so dominated by some of the current crisis and some of the things that frankly we're probably all a little tired of hearing about whether it be the, the some of the political difficulties or whether it be covid i mean i get it it's all real and of course we want to be informed people but none of those are a report card on how the kingdom of god is growing or what god's doing in places all over the earth and i think one of the things we we love about what we get to do is we are constantly hearing testimonies of remarkable moves of god across the world and of real finish lines of the Great Commission, if you could even use the term finish line, such as um, every major people group having uh, the gospel in their language, all the way down to every single language having uh, a, a portion of the scripture in their language, down to every people group being engaged with the gospel. And so many of those lines are either right in front of us or are a few years away and that is some of the most exciting things happening around the world. The most of the translation experts would say that by the year 2030 to 2035, that we will begin the last translation of the last language on earth. No kidding. And that's, yeah, that's, you know, we're 2,000 years of, of, of waiting for that moment, and we are, we are in that season. You know, we're, we're 10 to 15 years um, for seeing that happen, and that we're the first generation in human history to wake up to some of those realities. I had no wake idea. Wake up with, yeah, remarkable. And we're probably right now. I would I would say based on some of the recent studies that there are roughly a hundred to maybe a hundred and fifty people groups on the earth that have not yet been engaged with the gospel. And just maybe fifteen years ago, that number was over a thousand. So the speed at which people groups that have never one time that we're aware of had a gospel representation or the opportunity to understand the good news, that number is moving so quickly. And uh, because of unity among missions organizations and translation organizations, um, today most Americans wouldn't know that statistically the fastest growing church in the world is in Iran. Huh. And I think if we just said that 20 years ago, we would have been like, that's not even possible. But that's the reality of the day that we live in. And places that have been historically closed to the gospel are now some of the places where the gospel is spreading the fastest. Hmm. And that there's so many testimonies like that. I just very on a personal level got a was in a conversation with one of our long term workers in an, who's a good friend. We sent him out from here in an area of the world that I, I can't mention. But um, he was sending me pictures of the first known gathering of believers among a people group that nobody knows have possibly ever had communion together, have ever been baptized, have ever sat around and discussed the scriptures together. So those are some of, I think, the remarkable and exciting things that are actually happening in the midst of a lot of chaos, a lot of confusion, and a lot of crisis as well. How, how do you think the church needs to prepare to deal with all that? Because with every historic and dramatic movement of God, there have, there have um, 
come unintended side effects and uh, risks and aberrations and, uh, you know, just all kinds of things that get off the rails. How, how does the church prepare to be faithful through what God may do in this next season? Yeah, wow, good Great question. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Um, <laughs> you're, the, you're the expert I, on this, man, not me. No, no, definitely not expert. But, uh, I, you know, the places that I see that are thriving, whether in America or even globally, are the places that have returned to the simplicity of a love and an obedience to the Scriptures. And I think that the, the, the people and the places, the movements and the churches— that have brought it back to simply loving Jesus and obeying the scriptures, walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, taking the scriptures, you know, at face value and just living them in everyday life to me is the most potent force in all of human history. And I feel like today we're seeing the same thing, especially with the radical assault on truth, um, on absolutes, um, the relativism of truth, the, you know, some of the postmodern tendencies is the communities that I'm finding that are reaching their cities, that are impacting the world around them, whose you know, marriages are, are growing and strong, whose kids are being raised in the ways of the Lord, are simply the communities that have brought it back to what it's all about, loving Jesus and obeying the scriptures. And that gives me great hope that some of the shakings that have occurred in the last year, which some of them, of course, I believe the enemy gets his fingers in there and yeah. causes all kinds of extra chaos. And um, some of it is, is, you know, there's some natural element to something like a virus. But in the midst of it all, I also believe God has been shaking us. I think he's been shaking the church so that all that remains is what's really built on him. And I think that's where I get great hope. We just finished a 7,500-mile road trip across America with my whole family. Uh, we drove for two months and spoke in probably 35 gatherings. And I would say that the, the hope that I'm coming away with for America is based on the number of leaders who are bringing it back to, the, to that simplicity. And it looks and feels a whole lot like um, some of what you read about in the book of Acts. You know, I'm just going to say this sounds remarkably first century. Yes, yes. Wow. And I, I think if we were to, you know, drop in right now to the Church of Iran, which is thriving and multiplying, we would literally feel that we have dropped into first century Christianity. Yeah, right there in Antioch, huh? Yes, wow. yes. A Andy, with, with the level... I've got to ask you a personal question here. With the level of ministry exposure and ministry opportunity that you have had through YWAM, um, what prompted you to attend seminary? I mean, because frankly, because many, yeah. many people who have the type of influence um, and the type of platform, frankly, that, that you've been given, and many of them give the impression that they think they kind of have everything pretty much figured out, and, and they become accustomed to others sitting under their instruction. So what made you come to seminary at this point in your ministry career? Yeah, yeah. I um, First of all, I just want to say how honestly um, grateful I am for Denver Seminary and for each professor I've had. Um, it's been just a, a remarkable blessing. And I think um, for me, it really came down to having a, a value for constantly learning. And um, the insight that, that going to seminary has given me 
even through, you know, books and content and papers that I just would probably not have read on my own, wouldn't have even known where to start on my own, you know, wouldn't have had some of these assignments in a way that really require you to get the work done. All of that, honestly, for me was about catalyzing deeper intimacy with Jesus. And I just felt like going to seminary was going to push me in a direction that I probably wasn't going to push myself. And then even leading in such a pluralistic society, I felt the need to have stronger um, biblical foundation at a, you know, at a theological level, because my primary work is discipling and pouring into and teaching 18-year-olds. And we get, you know, we just had about 300 students arrive here on last Thursday, and they'll spend three months with us. And many of them are coming from not only broken families, but they're coming from um, you know, confusion and in, and in, in, in our current educational system, they're coming from pluralism at many levels. And I just felt I needed to be more grounded myself. And of course, the deeper you are in something, hopefully, the greater grace you have to present that in a simple and understandable way. So I just felt if I could if I could spend a season going deeper in the Word, understanding the Scriptures theology, New Testament, Old Testament, and as my professors being able to be sages or guides in that, that not only was it going to take me deeper in my own walk with the Lord to begin to see Jesus in ways I'd not seen him before, to fall more in love with him, but also that I would be able to hopefully bring a a more simple and understandable yet strong foundation to the 18-year-olds that we're pouring our lives into. Man, that's really well said. I I appreciate and applaud that <laughs> um, <laughs> because you've I mean you've 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 got it and um, you, that that exemplifies what we hope a good theological education will do will actually empower ministry will ground people in ministry um, not sterilize it and um, take the guts out of it and yeah you said that very well um, I I have loved it well, I'm glad you have. Andy, um, I want to give you kind of a, you already have the mic, so to speak, but I want to, <laughs> even at, a, at another level, kind of give you the mic to, to do a, a call to any younger people who are thinking about where they want to devote their lives and what God might have for them. Uh, what do you want to say to them? What do they need to be thinking about? How would you challenge mm-hmm. them? Yeah, I love that. Well, I would say first, and I'm assuming that a lot of people listening to this, you might be, you know, in or can at least connected to Denver Seminary, or maybe you're a student right now, or a faculty, um, or considering Denver Seminary. And I just want to say to each of you that are in any of those categories at a student level, you would never regret giving a season of your life uh, to going deep in the scriptures and building solid foundation. It's it's, it's parenting prep, it's marriage prep, it's life prep, and um, it's, it's so needed in our current age of confusion and, uh, and the lack of clarity that is being offered right now at, at many levels. And so I, just, I would say, first and foremost, don't neglect or despise the seasons of training so that when we're 50, 60, 70, 80, we're standing on strong foundations. And we're not blown and tossed by the winds of confusion that come around us and of culture and, of, you know, mass opinion, whatever it may be. And I would say, you know, second to that, that 
the power to me of, of training and of education is of course really wrapped up in the practicum and, and really wrapped up in, in, uh, in having, um, real application, real incarnate Jesus in everyday life. So I, I just encourage each person listening to this right now that Jesus didn't have a passive bone in his body. And he was the ultimate example of, of action from the place of love. He was constantly moving and taking new territory and meeting in, in new needs and, and finding people and meeting them where they were at. He was activated in his faith and from a real place of intimacy and rest. And I think one of the greatest needs of the hour right now is for the world to see an activated church for the world to see an activated believer, a person who is living their theology, living their faith out loud, full of love, full of initiation, um, um, initiatory courage. So that would be my encouragement to every person listening. Let's, let's live on strong foundations. Let's build our lives on the rock, and let's allow that life on the rock um, to be also trumpeted from the mountaintops, from the rooftops, and let's let the world see a church that isn't lost in arguments or division, uh, a church that's not just known for what it's against. But let's see the let's let the world see a church that is in action, that is full of love, that is moving forward, taking ground uh, with with great humility for the gospel. And I think I think many many thousands will come to the kingdom as the church activates in that way. Well, amen to that, brother. Pass the offering plate. Wow. <laughs> yeah, you go. Andy Bird, this has been a real treat. Thank you, friend, for taking some time to spend with us. Oh, thank you. Such a privilege. And uh, I love Denver Seminary. I've been, I, it's, a, it's been a gift to me, a gift to my faith, a gift to my leadership um, experience in life. So uh, such an honor to do this together. Dr. Payne, I've so enjoyed the courses that you know we've been able to do together. And um, I hope everyone listening is just massively encouraged and uh, carrying great hope for, for where this is all headed. Well, you've encouraged me, my friend. Thanks again. Uh, we look forward to a future conversation uh, with you on other topics. So, friends, we hope you'll uh, find us again really soon. And check out our webpage. Where you'll always find good stuff there, um, not merely for students, but a lot of free resources that we hope will enrich your life and your faith and your ministry. So check that out, denverseminary.edu. And as always, you can email us if you'd like to uh, make a comment or a question. Our email address is podcast at denverseminary.edu. Just wish you all God's best, and we'll talk to you again soon.